This message is brought to you by Cedar Springs Church. For more information, please visit cedarspringschurchnm.org. We're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 39 this morning. If you want to head there in your Bibles. I wonder if you can remember some of the promises you've made throughout your life. For example, maybe when you got married, vows, it's another word for promises. There's a reason why God had you make them when you still liked each other. There's still promises. Maybe you've signed a contract to buy a a house or lease a vehicle or something like that. That's a promise. Maybe you uh, got a new job, and when you were hired, you probably signed some form of contract where you promised to do some kind of work in exchange for payment. Those are promises. But the truth is, we actually make promises every day. When was the last time you used your debit or check card? That was a promise to pay. I bring up this idea of promises only to ask you this. When was the last time you bounced a check or your card was declined? When was the last time you called in sick to work when you really didn't feel that bad? When was the last time you were late on a vehicle or a house payment? Or when was the last time you looked at or thought about someone other than your spouse with lust in your heart? Because when it comes to promises, the truth is, the one thing we do nearly as often as we make them is break them. However, the same cannot be said of our God. Praise Him. That's what we're going to see this morning. This morning, Jeremiah chapter 39 is going to show us that our God keeps all His promises. Our God keeps all His promises. For example, look at Jeremiah 39, beginning in verse 1, where the first thing we see is that our God keeps His promises to punish. He keeps His promises to punish. Jeremiah 31, begin, 39, beginning in verse 1. In the ninth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the tenth month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and, his, and all his army came against Jerusalem and besieged it. In the eleventh year of Zedekiah, in the fourth month, On the ninth day of the month, a breach was made in the city. Then all the officials of the king of Babylon came and sat in the middle gate. Nergal, Sir Ezer, and Samgar, Nebusar, Sechem, and Rabseris, Nergal, Sar Ezer, the Rab Mag, and all the rest of the officers of the king of Babylon. When Zedekiah, king of Judah, and all the soldiers saw them, they fled, going out of the city at night by way of the king's garden, through the gate between the two walls, and they went toward the Arabah. But the army of the Chaldeans pursued them and overtook Zedekiah in the plains of Jericho. When they had taken him, they they brought him up to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, at Riblah, in the land of Hamoth, and he passed sentence on him. King of Babylon slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah at Riblah before his eyes. The king of Babylon slaughtered all the nobles of Judah, He put out the eyes of Zedekiah and bound him in chains to take him to Babylon. 
The Chaldeans burned the king's house and the houses of the people and broke down the walls of Jerusalem. Then Nebuzardan, the captain of the guard, carried into exile to Babylon the rest of the people who were left in the city, those who had deserted to him, and the people who remained. Nebuzardan, the captain of the guard, left in the land of Judah some of the poor people who owned nothing and gave them vineyards and fields at the same time. What I'd ask you to do is permit me a few extra minutes to detail to you why these ten verses are so important. Because you see, in these ten short verses lies the culmination of nearly 38 chapters of Jeremiah. For example, in Jeremiah chapter 1, 14, chapter 4, verse 6, 5, 15, 6, 22, and 13, 20, God promised that a strange nation would come in from the north uh, to Judah. We just read about Babylon coming in from the north. In Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 17, chapter 6, verse 3, and 6, 9, 21, 14, 1 through 6, 16 and 18, 15, 7 through 9, 18, 21. I'm not expecting you to write all these down. I just want you to see the, the mass of what it is. In those verses, God promised a siege and the subsequent famine and death that would follow. In verse 1, just told us that Nebuchadnezzar sieged Jerusalem. In chapter 1, verse 15, God promised that the kings would set up their thrones in the gates of Jerusalem. And verse 3 just told us that the Babylonian king and his officials set up their thrones in the middle gate. In chapter 21, verse 10 and 14, 32, 29, 34, 2 and 22, 37, 38 and 38, 18, God promised Jerusalem would be burned. And verse 8 tells us that the fire, about the fire that the Chaldeans set in Jerusalem. And in chapter 10, verse 17 and 18, chapter 13, verse 17 through 19, 15, 14, 17, 4, God promised exile for the people and for the king. And verse 9 tells us how Babylon led everyone into exile. And that is just a sample of God's promises to punish in Jeremiah. There's another promise God made in Ezekiel that didn't really make sense until Jeremiah chapter 39. You see, in Ezekiel chapter 12 and verse 13, God made this promise to King Zedekiah. He said, I will spread my net over him, and he shall be taken in my snare, and I will bring him to Babylon, the land of the Chaldeans, yet he shall not see it, and he shall die there. How's that possible? How is a king going to be taken to Babylon but not see it when he's there? Well, Jeremiah chapter 39, verse 7 said that Nebuchadnezzar put out the eyes of Zedekiah and bound him in chains to take him to Babylon. That's how. Our God keeps his promises, including his promises to punish. However, for many, many years, decades, centuries, the people of Judah had been denying what Jeremiah was saying. For years they had been saying that God wouldn't really do this to them. The false prophets had been saying that, that God was actually going to bring them peace. In fact, even after all this had come to pass, when they were actually in exile, the false prophets were still saying Jeremiah was wrong and the exile was only going to last a couple years. But it didn't. Just like God promised, it lasted 70 years. 
Not to mention, anyone want to take a stab at when Jerus- uh, the Israel actually got control of Jerusalem back? 1947. Babylon, Babylon conquered Judah in 586 B.C., and Israel didn't regain control over that land until 1947. 2,500 years, Jews were out of control in their own land, and even today, Israel is only a fraction of what it used to be. Why? Because that's what God promised would happen to His disobedient people. Destruction. Yet even with all that proof, today there are still those who claim that God's promises won't come true. Many say the personal return of Jesus Christ is not going to happen. It's just a myth. Something Christians hold on to for hope. They claim the wrath of God is just a scare tactic used by Christians to swell their their roles. They deny the existence of hell and they think they've been good enough to get into heaven They're saying the exact same things the Jews said when Jeremiah promised Judah's destruction. Like Zedekiah, many even think that that if this does exactly actually happen, that, that, that they can slip out through the garden gate at the last minute. Perhaps even you're thinking something like that this morning. Like this is is nice, Grant. I get it. Part of your job description is to scare everyone every once in a while. You Christians have been saying this for 2,000 years, that God's going to return to judge and nothing has happened. If that's you, I pray you would see, as delayed as He might appear, that our God keeps His promises to punish And therefore, I beg you to be reconciled to him today. Because just as our brother Peter told us in 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 9, here is the truth. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come. Like a thief in the night, just like it did for those in Jeremiah 39. And then the heavens will pass away and with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolve. The earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. In other words, I pray you would believe that our God keeps His promises. All of them. That even if He appears to be delayed, that is simply His mercy and grace giving you more time to repent and believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If that's you this morning, I pray you would believe that. That's the first thing we see in Jeremiah 39, that God keeps all His promises even to punish. But second, second, look at verses 11 through 14 where we see also that God keeps His promises to His prophet. He keeps His promises to His prophet. Verse 11, Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon, gave command concerning Jeremiah through Nebuzardan, the captain of the guard, saying, Take him, look after him well, and do him no harm, not deal with him as he, and, but deal with him as he tells you. So Nebuzardan, the captain of the guard, Nebuchadnezzar, the Rabsaris, Nergal, Sarezar, the Rabmag, 
and all the chief officers of the king of Babylon sent and took Jeremiah from the court of the guard. They entrusted him to Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, son of Shapham, that he should take him home. So he lived among the people. Now I want you to picture two things. First, I want you to picture the chaos that, that was taking place as these events actually unfolded. All around you, those who still think Jerusalem can be defended are, are, are trying to fight off the Babylonians only to be slaughtered. Women and children are pouring through the streets like debris, caught up in this brutal tide of, of soldiers pouring over the walls into the city. The screaming and the crying and the death is deafening as many are brutalized and beaten and killed. That's the first thing I want you to imagine, how this actually unfolded. But second, I want you to picture an aged prophet watching all of this from some outbuilding as the, as the horrific prophecies that he foretold are coming true right before his eyes. His whole life has been ordained to foretell of this devastation. And now that it's actually happening, he's unsure what to do. The only people who dislike him more than the attacking soldiers are his fellow countrymen. So, as all this chaos and death rage around him like this tornado of screams and blood, he doesn't have anywhere to go. No one to run to, nobody with whom to, to seek shelter. Yet in the midst of all this chaos, a platoon of, of Babylonian special forces barges in, followed by the captain of the king's guard, and says, Jeremiah, come with us. You are under the protection of the king. We have your only friend in the whole world, Gedaliah, at your house where you will both be safely guarded. Wait, how did that happen? Seriously. How did the king of Babylon even know who Jeremiah was? I mean, maybe. If, if we look at the story of Daniel, we know that, that Nebuchadnezzar had a soft spot for, for prophets and seers. Maybe that's why he knew about Jeremiah. Or, or maybe some of the Jerusalem officials that, that they had captured, they were telling Nebuchadnezzar about this prophet who kept telling the Israelites to, 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 to give themselves to the Babylonians, to give up. Maybe he saw Jeremiah as some kind of defector. The truth is we don't know exactly how Jeremiah came to find favor with King Nebuchadnezzar. But even though we don't know how it happened, we do know why it happened. A few times God said to Jeremiah, the same thing he told him in Jeremiah chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. He said, And I, that's God, behold, I make you, that's Jeremiah, this day a fortified city, an iron pillar, and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you, for I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. In other words, 
Our God keeps His promises to His prophets. He keeps all of His promises to His prophets. It's the same promises He made to Daniel in the lion's den. It's the same promises He made to Elijah when King Ahab and Jezebel wanted to kill him. It's the same promises He made to Jonah when He told Jonah to go to Nineveh. Our God keeps His promises, including those promises He made to His prophets. But listen... All those promises God made to all those prophets, they were just a warm-up. They were just getting going on the promises that God made to His greatest prophet, Jesus Christ. You see, all those prophets eventually died. God never promised them that they would live forever. But listen to what Paul explained to the Jews in Antioch in Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse 28. He said, And though they found in him, that's Jesus, though they found no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up from with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God, what? Promised to the fathers. This he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. In other words, God kept his promise to his greatest prophet, Jesus Christ, when death could not hold him and he walked out of that tomb. Our God keeps his promises to punish and he keeps his promises to his prophets. Aren't you glad our God is not like us? Praise him that he keeps his promises. But I want to be honest, and I mean brutally honest. You're in church. So you know when I ask you, aren't you glad God keeps his promises? You're supposed to say yes. Good job. You passed the test. But that's not the truth. Let's be honest with ourselves. Why are you glad God kept His promises to His prophets? Because if we're honest, the real answer to that question should be, yeah, that's great. What does God keeping His promises to His prophets have to do with me? If we're honest, that's what we really wonder. What does God keeping His prophets, promises to His prophets have to do with me? We'll look at verses 15 through 18. Where, because he keeps his promises to his prophets, our God also keeps his promises to his people. Verse 15, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, who was now safe, while he was shut up in the court of the guard. Go and say to Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will fulfill my words against this city for harm and not for good, and they shall be accomplished before you on that day. But I will deliver you on that day, declares the Lord, and you shall not be given into the hand of the men of whom you are afraid, for I will surely save you, and you shall not fall by the sword, but you shall have your life as a prize of war, because you have put your trust in me, declares the Lord." 
In other words, if God hadn't kept his promise to Jeremiah, Ebed-Melech, who was not a Jew, he was an Ethiopian, Ebed-Melech would have no place to go and no protection from God. However, because God kept his promise to keep Jeremiah safe, Ebed-Melech also now has a place to go. Look again at the quintuple, five that is, assurance that God gives Ebed, beginning in verse 17. He said, but I will deliver you one on that day, and you shall not be given into the hand of the men who are, you are afraid. I will surely save you three, and you shall not fall by the sword four, but you shall have your life as a prize of war. That's a guarantee. God said it five times. In other words, when we're honest with ourselves and we ask what God keeping his promise to his, to his greatest prophet, Jesus Christ, when we ask what that has to do with us, the answer is it has everything to do with us. It has everything to do with us. Listen, God promised He would provide a way for us to escape the depravity and the sin into which we are born. He promised to make us righteous, and He kept that promise through Jesus Christ, who for 33 years lived that righteous life on our behalf. God promised to forgive our sins, and He kept that promise through Jesus Christ when because He was perfect, He was able to be the sinless sacrifice that we needed to permanently remove our sin. But none of that would have meant anything if Jesus had been conquered by death because God promised us eternal life. Yet because Jesus conquered the grave, because God promised not to let Him see corruption, Jesus is now but the firstborn from the grave. The firstborn of many brothers and sisters, that is you and I. Listen, when we ask, aren't you glad God kept His promises to His prophets? The answer is the only reason you, have, you and I have anything to hope for is because God kept His promise to Jesus Christ. So now... Just like Jeremiah said to Ebed-Melech, Jesus comes to us and says, I will deliver you on that day. You shall not be given into the hand of the men of whom you are afraid. I will surely save you and you shall not fall by the sword, but you shall have your life as a prize of war. Why? Because you have put your trust in me, declares the Lord. Brothers and sisters, our God keeps His promises to punish. He keeps His promises to His prophets, and therefore our God keeps His promise to His people. But listen, salvation, it's not the only promise God made to His people. And it's not the only promise that He's kept for us through Jesus Christ. Listen to what Paul said to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 19. He said, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Sylvanius and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. I beg of you a few moments to give you but a little taste of what Paul meant by that. Our God promised to crush the head of our greatest enemy. That promise is yes in Jesus Christ. 
Our God promised to make Abraham, the father of a nation, larger than the sand of the sea or the stars in the sky. And there are today multitudes waiting for us to join them in heaven because that promise is yes in Jesus Christ. Our God promised to give us a land that is free from strife and pain for eternity. That promise is awaiting us when we die in Jesus Christ. Our God promised that we would be in His presence for eternity. That promise is yes in Jesus Christ. Our God promised us a king to sit on David's throne who would rule for eternity in righteousness and might. That promise is yes in Jesus Christ. And our God promised to raise us up with Him in the end to see Him face to face, to be the sun for our eternal days and the water for our eternal lives. And brothers and sisters, those promises are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. But it's not just the future. Our God promised that He would never leave us or forsake us. He promised to strengthen us. He promised to give us words to speak when we don't have any. Those promises are yes in Jesus Christ. Our God promised He would free us from our bondage to sin and death, that we would never again have to strive to be good enough in His eyes. That promise is yes in Jesus Christ. And our God promised that if we search for Him, we will find Him. And that promise is yes in Jesus Christ through His Word. Our God keeps His promises. There's more. Our God promised that He will protect us. That promise is yes in Jesus Christ. Our God promised to work all things for our good in order to finish the work that He started. That promise is yes in Jesus Christ. He promised us rest, and He promised us not just a life, but life abundant. And that promise is yes in Jesus Christ. And our God promised to guide us, to give us hope, and to shine through us as we shine like lights in the world. And those promises are yes in Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, our God keeps His promises to His people. So I ask you, which one of those promises do you, like Ebed-Melech, Today, which, which one of those promises do you need to trust in God this morning? Which promise of God do you need to trust this morning? Because I want you to listen to what our brother Peter said at the beginning of his second letter. In chapter 1, verse 3, he said, His, that's God's, divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Everything we need to live a godly life through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, listen, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through what? Through them, through His precious and very great promises, we may become partakers of the divine nature. Through His precious and very great promises, we can escape the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. What is it you are struggling with this morning, friend? What is it that is weighing you down? Has someone cheated you? Someone made your life difficult? God promised you an advocate in Jesus Christ. Is your marriage going through a rough patch? God promised you peace and comfort in the darkest of times. Are you afraid of something this morning? Afraid of a person or a circumstance? Are you afraid of maybe even death this morning? God promised to walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death. Are you struggling to make ends meet? God promised to provide for you. Are you struggling with self-doubt or anxiety or guilt over your sin, a sin that maybe you can't kick? God promised you that it is finished in Jesus Christ. 
Brothers and sisters, I could go on and on and on with this. The point is, Jeremiah 31, 39 is telling us that our God keeps his promises, all of them. Therefore, listen, therefore, the solution to our fear, the solution to our anxiety, the solution to our provision and our pain and our panic is the same as Ebed-Melech. We need only trust that our God keeps all his promises. Amen. I don't want to stop there. I want to ask a very practical question. I don't know if you're like me. And it's how do I do that? I mean, I know in my head that God keeps his promises, but I can't squish that down into my heart. So I feel it. How do I do that? Let me give you three ways the Bible says you can trust that God keeps his promises. First, Remember the promises He's already kept for you. Remember the promises He's already kept for you. When Israel was about to enter the promised land, they were afraid of the people they were going to have to fight, these giants and these big armies. They were afraid. So Moses wrote this little book called Deuteronomy. And guess what words are repeated 25 times, 26 times in the book of Deuteronomy? Remember and don't forget. Don't forget the Red Sea. Don't forget the desert. Don't forget, don't forget, don't forget all the different times that God has provided for you. So when you feel doubt creeping into your life, when you feel fear or anxiety creeping into your life, remember the promises God has already kept in your life. Make a list if you have to. And let your praise and worship for those promises kept drive out your fear. That's one. Second, and this is a big one. Listen. Quit trying to be God. The reason we often struggle with fear and doubt is because we're not sure how we're going to solve something, how, how we're going to figure out something that only God knows. You see, the reason God made those promises to us is because we don't have the power to do any of that. You can't change how someone thinks. You can't know the future. I mean, some of you need to be reminded this morning that you can't alter geopolitics or macroeconomics. You're freaking out about it. We worry about these things as though we can. Which is why Jesus was so clear in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to your life? Our God-given job description is to be obedient today and trust God's promises to take care of tomorrow. That's two. Quit trying to be God. And third, talk with each other about God's promises that He has kept in your lives. Talk with each other about God's promises that He has kept in your lives. You see, too often we keep this to ourselves when these conversations about, about God's faithfulness should be the air we breathe every day with each other. In fact, I would bet today you could probably encourage someone with a story about God's faithfulness to you. So, so the next time you talk to someone about the difficulty they're going through, instead of giving them advice on how they can fix it, tell them about a time God came through on His promises for you. 
Encourage them with God's faithfulness instead of your own. Because nothing is more encouraging than to be reminded that our God keeps